Welcome to Mind, Muscle, and Metabolism, the Jade Tita Podcast. Here you get the in-depth science and practical tools needed to change your body, optimize your health, and elevate your mindset. I'm Dr. Jade Tita, and here is what I want you to know. You are different. You are as unique on the inside chemically as you are on the outside physically. And those differences matter. They matter because there is only one rule to achieving optimal health, fitness, and body change. That rule, do what works for you. My goal is to help you understand exactly how. I'm so excited you're here. Your transformation starts right now. Welcome to the JT The Podcast, Episode 7. In today's episode, we're going to talk about one of the most important metabolic frameworks I think that you can have in your tool set to understand how to get results. I mean, look, let's face it. One of the things that comes up again and again and again, probably when you're talking to friends, certainly when I'm sitting across the table talking to individuals or when I was in the weight room or the training center with my clients back in the day is I'm doing everything right and I'm not getting results, right? I'm doing everything right and not getting results. And while I have been uh, compassionate and empathetic about this uh, sort of idea that people are frustrated, I can understand that. But what I have found is that the vast majority of the time, upwards of 90% of the time, they are not doing everything right because they don't know what are the right things to do. They think it's just about diet and exercise, diet and exercise. I eat the things that I'm told to eat. I exercise daily. I should get linear, predictable results in body change and health. And that does not happen. It doesn't happen for several reasons, two major reasons in my mind. Well, really three, but I'm only going to talk about one today. One reason is that What works for you is different than what works for someone else. So you need to figure out what is right for you, not as right for someone else, which brings me to point two. Most people think that what is right is some off-the-shelf recipe. Oh, I'm following paleo, that's right. Or I'm being a vegan and vegetarian, that's right. Or I'm doing the keto diet, that's right. These things are wrong. So those two points get people in trouble right away, not realizing that what is right for someone else is not what's right for them, and also realizing that these one-size-fits-all nutritional approaches do not work for everyone. For some, they might. And if they do work, they don't work all of the time. So even if they worked for you at one point in your life, maybe when you were young or uh, prior to having children, now all of a sudden they don't work. So those are very important uh, and uh, critical in your understanding about why things might be not working for you. But more importantly is, do you know the top four things that you should be doing? Period. Because it's more than diet and exercise. Actually, it's more important, okay? More important that you know two other things that come before diet and exercise. Now, look, I have clinical experience that is very robust. I've worked with tens of thousands of individuals directly. 
I have worked with hundreds of thousands of individuals through my online programs. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, it is my belief and opinion that there are two things that are far more important than diet and exercise when it comes to getting results. These two things set up the ability for your metabolism to even respond appropriately. Because remember, your metabolism is nothing but one big stress barometer. It does not care about your timetables. It does not care about your vanity concerns. It does not care about what is convenient for you. It will do what it's going to do based on keeping you in homeostasis and balance. So if it thinks you are stressed out and you are not doing the things correctly to help it maintain balance, you are not going to get the results. So I have a model I'm going to introduce you to. I call the 4M model of metabolism. These are the four things that you must have in place if you are going to sit around and say, I'm doing everything right and not getting results. So let's talk about these first. And they do come in my mind in a hierarchy. In other words, one is more important than the other. And so I, when I conceptualize this, I think of a pyramid. Obviously, the base of the pyramid is the most important part, and the top of the pyramid is the least important part. So what goes at the base of the pyramid? Well, there's four M's. There's mindset. There's movement. There is metabolics. And there are meals. Let's go through these really quickly, then I'll show you where they show up on the pyramid. First, let's talk about metabolics because this is the one that most people focus all their attention on. What is metabolics? Metabolics are things that stimulate the metabolism. These will be things like exercise, structured exercise, doing CrossFit, doing a spin class, those kinds of things. When you are doing metabolics, you are doing something purposely to try to stimulate the metabolism. Supplements are an example of metabolics. Drugs are an example of metabolics. Okay? So metabolics are things that try to move your metabolism, stimulate your metabolism, speed up your metabolism. And we've talked about this in past episodes, but remember one thing about the metabolism is it doesn't work like a calculator or chemistry set. It works more like a seesaw or a boomerang or a, uh, a thermostat. And so when you push on the metabolism, it will push back against you. So anytime you try to speed up the metabolism, what else are you doing? You're speeding up hunger. You're potentially speeding up cravings. So we have to be very careful about metabolics because metabolics can quickly push us into uh, issues. Increasing hunger, increasing cravings is not something that you necessarily want to do that can work against you because many people, and research has showed this, many people can overcompensate when they overexercise, overcompensate with food. It's very easy to only burn 300 calories in a really tough workout, and then because it stimulates so much hunger and cravings, you end up consuming 1,000 extra calories that day. So you are in a big net negative right there. So that's what I mean by metabolics, things that move the metabolism. We want enough but not too much metabolics. What about meals? Well, that's easy. That's the food that you're eating. This is calories. This is macros. This is micronutrition. This is phytonutrition. This is concerns about organic food versus not organic food. This is meal quality and quantity. And then, of course, there are the mindset aspects. And this is critical because when I say mindset, I really mean mindful living. Are you doing the things that keep this big stress barometer, that is your metabolism, from feeling stressed out? I use a concept I call rest-based living 
that involves all of the things, all the mindful components of relaxing your system. How many people, when they're stuck in their weight loss goals, when they're saying, I'm doing everything right and not getting the results, realize that maybe their hour-long treadmill habit is leading to their binge eating habit later on. Maybe that's the case, right? So we want to be thinking about what are we doing to help calm the stress that may be accumulating in our stress barometer, our metabolism, which may cause negative compensations. We want to incorporate as many stress-relieving activities as possible into our lifestyle. I call these I call this rest-based living, and I call these activities rest and recovery and restoring workouts or activities. What would these be? Well, walking, leisurely walking or leisurely walking, slow, relaxed walking is a great one. Sauna therapies, hot bath therapies, things that relax us like massage and meditation, whether it's Massage, self-massage like foam rolling or whether it's a massage appointment, spa therapies, manicures, pedicures, uh, these kinds of things, facials, these things can all be relaxing. Sex is a huge one. We don't talk about it a lot, but obviously orgasm is an amazing way to calm and relax and restore our body. Physical affection, same thing, just cuddling would be wonderful in that regard. Time with pets, as long as these are pets that love you and bring joy to your life and that you laugh at and that you can cuddle with versus pets that are peeing all over the place and stressing you out. Uh, All these things, hot showers, hot baths, anything that relaxes you, time with on the phone with a loved one, loving conversations, watching funny movies and laughing, all of these are restorative and relaxing. Sitting at the end of the day, with an herbal cup of tea and listening to classical music to calm you, deprivation chambers, all of these things that can be very relaxing. We need to have these as a very important component. And then there is movement. Is it the last M of the four M's? Movement is interesting because when people hear movement, they say, well, Jade, isn't that the same as metabolics, structured exercise? Well, structured exercise is a type of movement, but it's a type of movement that tries to stimulate the metabolism, which is why I refer to it as metabolics and not movement. Movement, I mean movement of daily living, daily activities, doing the laundry, gardening, fidgeting, walking, leisurely or leisurely walking, getting from place A to place B. Remember, As humans, some people say humans were born to run. Of course, we were not born to run, but we certainly are born to walk. We are born to move. We are born to use our two legs to get from point A to point B before horses, before the horse and buggy, before cars. We have to move. We have to walk. That is the most important aspect of this. And I covered this in a past episode, but non-exercise-associated thermogenesis is the term that science uses to describe this movement part of the metabolism. We have three different parts of our changeable metabolism. The thermic effect of food, how food, when we eat it, stimulates our metabolism. The thermic effect of exercise, how when we do metabolics, that can stimulate our metabolism and burn extra calories. Or non-exercise-associated thermogenesis, and this is all the other stuff, everything else, taking the elevator rather, or taking the stairs rather than the elevator, parking further away, fidgeting, gardening, 
doing the laundry, taking out the trash, picking up the newspaper, walking from this place to that place, all of that stuff, taking a shower, taking the dog for a walk, that stuff adds up big time. And so we look at the total components of metabolism and the changeable metabolism, we can see that the thermic effect of food is very small. And actually, the metabolic component of exercise is actually pretty small as well, maybe 10%, but NEAT can be 15 to 20%. In other words, this movement is much more powerful and has a much more direct impact on our metabolism, which is why some research hints at the fact that people who move all day but don't do any exercise are typically going to be leaner and healthier than someone who sits around all day on their butt but does a 30-minute workout once per day. This is important. This is why movement is considered different than metabolics or exercise. This is based off the research, not my opinion. It's the emerging understanding of non-exercise associated thermogenesis. Quick break. Want to tell you about a resource you are definitely going to want to check out. I know not all of you are metabolic experts. You're not scientists. You're not biochemists. You don't necessarily know about hormones and endocrinology. So I created a free program for you, Metabolism School, to help you understand this stuff in more detail. If you would like the free course, you can go to drjade.com slash metabolism dash school. drjade.com slash metabolism dash school. Get the free Metabolism School resource. It'll teach you everything you need to know in depth and really get you caught up on the science. Thanks so much, guys. Back to the podcast. So now we have these four M's. We have mindfulness, movement, meals, and metabolics. Which ones are most important in my opinion? Now, this is my opinion. It is an educated opinion based on the research and clinical practice, but this may get mixed up a little bit as we have more information. Remember, I did a whole episode on reading research and understanding science, which is an emerging truth. So this may change somewhat, but right now the way I see it is that the base of the pyramid, the most important component of this is mindfulness. Why would I say that? Because this sets us up if we are mindful, if we were relaxing our, and we're recovering and we're not stressing our system out, then we will be more motivated to exercise. One of the key things with mindfulness and rest-based living is sleep and naps. We require these things to recover from stress of daily living and stress of exercise. So this comes first. To me, movement is next for a lot of the same reasons we just talked about, that NEAT is a huge component of metabolism. Of course, meals are next. We've all heard this sort of thing that abs are made in the kitchen. And the truth of the matter is, that's actually not true. If you want to build the abdominal musculature, you build the muscle in the gym. But we reveal the muscle in the kitchen. That's a better way to say that, you know, saying, you know, a lot of people say, oh, abs are made in the kitchen. No, abs are made in the gym. If you want to get chunky abs, you want your abs to show up, you have to work them like any other muscle group. However, they're revealed in the kitchen. If you want them to show up, then you have to eat right so that you burn the fat. And so mindfulness comes first. Movement comes second, meals come next, and metabolics come last. Now, isn't this interesting? Because most people who are saying, I'm doing everything right, Jade, 
and I'm not getting results, all they're doing is meals and metabolics, meals and metabolics, diet and exercise. I'm eating right. I'm exercising right. Not to mention the fact that oftentimes they're trying to follow a one-size-fits-all approach that is not designed and created for their own unique metabolic processes and psychology and personal preferences. They're trying to treat it like it's a recipe book. But even so, they have to understand that there are two components that come before diet and exercise. Mindfulness first, stress-reducing activities in the life that you structure in and you pay utmost attention to. Again, how many people are thinking that they should spend an hour extra in bed versus an extra hour on the treadmill? Movement comes next. Again, how many people, when they think they want to try to get more done or trying to exercise more. How many people think, oh, I don't need to exercise more. I need to move more. Not many. Yet, if most people thought that way, they would very easily, and I've seen this in clinical practice again and again, get off the plateau or start seeing results. You have to prioritize first mindfulness, second movement, and then you can begin to tweak the meals and the metabolic. So in that order, that's how you want to be thinking about this. Hugely important for you to understand. So what I would do now after this insight in this podcast is I would ask yourself, am I doing three or more structured mindfulness-based activities during my week? And by the way, notice that walking shows up in two places. This is why it is so critical. Walking shows up in the mindfulness-based component because it lowers cortisol and stress hormones. And walking also shows up in the movement component because that's how we get from point A to point B. I want to talk a little bit about walking here because the research on walking is really, really interesting. It is the only, one of the only types of activities that is able to simultaneously sensitize your body to insulin when you move, by the way, for those of you who are savvy, I will give you this understanding. And for those of you who are, on, are not, I'll give you a little bit of a biochemistry lesson. What you need to understand is that in order for the body to use calories and sugar, it needs to secrete insulin. Insulin's job is to bind to cells and stimulate the production of glucose receptors that then let glucose and sugar into the cell. This is a good thing. Insulin is a good thing in this regard. However, if insulin levels get too high, your body will become insulin resistant. You'll have less of these glucose uh, receptors out on the cells. Your blood sugar will start going higher. That blood sugar then has to be put somewhere because it's not healthy to be in the blood and you can store more fat that way. Walking sensitizes the body to insulin because walking increases the amount of these glucose receptors without needing insulin. So isn't it interesting that even people who are diabetic, if they go for a long walk, they are less diabetic after that walk than they were before they started that walk. This is why walking is so, so beneficial because it is an independent mechanism for you to increase these glucose receptors and pull glucose out of the blood and use it. It also lowers stress hormones, cortisol, which cortisol also, too much stress, can make you insulin resistant. So those who are dealing with insulin resistance, you can eat your way into insulin resistance and see problems, or you can stress your way into insulin resistance and see problems. Walking addresses insulin resistance directly by 
helping circumvent this glucose receptor issue. It also addresses it by lowering stress hormones. And walking has two other benefits. It does burn some calories, very little, but it will. And, and what's really interesting about walking, in most cases, walking is incompatible with eating. Now, of course, in America, we'll see these people walking through the mall with these big boo-boo Coca-Colas and things and eating while they're walking. But in general, most people do not walk around with a big plate in their hand while they're eating. So that is an important consideration. Walking has all of these benefits, lowers stress hormones, sensitizes the body to insulin, burns some calories, and is typically incompatible with eating. And if you do walking correctly, you can have a situation where you don't increase hunger levels, which is hugely important because think about the metabolic component. Sometimes when you overexercise, you can increase hunger. Most people, until you get over like 10, 15,000 steps, will not see their hunger being increased through walking. In fact, walking will probably lower their hunger and their cravings because cortisol is associated with cravings. And so if walking lowers cortisol, that's great. So what is the best way to walk? Well, just walk. It's funny, the Japanese have done these studies where they've actually taken people and they've measured them walking in city settings versus greenery settings versus parks. And walking in a park and walking more slowly is better. So you will see reduced cortisol even further when you're doing relaxing walking and uh, walking in green settings than you might in a city setting. But even walking in the city will have these effects. Now, when I talk about walking, we're talking about leisurely or leisurely walking. Slow walking, relaxing walking, walking while talking, while talking to someone, walking while walking the dogs, walking and smelling the roses, walking and sipping on a coffee, relaxing. Power walking is more akin to aerobic exercise, which does not have the same cortisol-lowering effects. And so one of the key things you can do if you want to take these four M's into account so you can start getting results and stop thinking, hey, I'm doing everything right and still not getting results, is to make sure that you are doing at least three mindfulness-based activities per week, preferably every day. Massage, foam rolling, stretching, sex and physical affection, slow walking, massage, manicure, pedicure, time with pets, time with loved ones, all of those things. And that you're doing movement on a daily basis. How much movement? This is where these trackers can come in. I wear a Fitbit. Some people have Apple Watches. Everyone has sort of different trackers. But you want to accumulate 10,000 steps per day if possible. And it doesn't have to be all at once. This could be scattered throughout the day. This will elevate your NEAT, your non-exercise-associated thermogenesis, not overstimulate hunger, sensitize your body to insulin, and this is far more important than doing a bunch of exercise. Then, of course, you want to get your meals in play. Go back and listen to episode one, but really quickly, if you want your meals to uh, – uh, the best off-the-shelf way to talk about this is make 90% of your meals soups, salads, scrambles, and shakes that do not have a lot of fat or starch, and then add enough sugar, fat, starch, alcohol, salt to make – your food enjoyable, but not too much. And then the same goes for metabolics. Exercise enough, but not too much. If you're a beginner, maybe three times per week is all that you're needed, that's needed. And if you're an advanced exerciser, you want enough to get the job done, but not so much that your hunger, energy, and cravings start getting out of check. This is how you do this. Four M's. That's how you know you're doing everything right 
and still not getting results, then you can look further into supplements, into whether your thyroid and adrenals and other things are uh, on in balance and need to be addressed. But first, you have to take care of the four M's. All right, guys, hope this podcast was useful for you. I will see you at the next podcast. Be well. Pop it in real quick just to say thank you so much for your interest and support of the JTTA.com podcast. I am bringing back by popular demand the live Q&A calls I used to do back in the day where you can get on live with me, ask your question directly, and have me answer it in full. Questions about thyroid and adrenal health, autoimmune disease, any health condition, belly fat, muscle building, performance enhancement, you name it, we are going to cover it on the Q&A podcast. If you'd like to be on these live Q&A calls with me and speak to me directly, all you need to do is become a patron of the podcast. You can go to www.patreon.com backslash jtita. That's www.patreon.com slash Jade Tita, become a patron of the podcast. I would greatly appreciate your support, and you'll be able to access me live to answer all your questions in depth. Thanks again for your support. See you on the podcast.